Our reading tonight is from Luke chapter 10, starting on verse 25, um, and that's on page 1041 of the Bibles that you'll find on the seat. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Abby, thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. Well, that's not bad. Good evening. Try again. Yeah, you're still awake. Brilliant. Now, uh, this story, it, it's, it's so familiar, isn't it? Uh, Good Samaritan. It's a word, we, a phrase rather, we use, don't we, to often describe someone who does a good deed, someone that does something pleasant and good for you. You, you talk about them, oh, they've been a Good Samaritan. It's, it's almost in sort of common parlance. Um, but I think the interesting thing about this story is that have we really dug down into what Jesus was trying to communicate? Have we really got down? John, could you take me down a bit? I'm a bit echoey, mate. Would you mind? Thank you very much. That's much better. Now, the story is incredibly simple. It's, it's a really basic, honest-to-goodness story. And um, if when Jesus told these parables, um, he teaches elsewhere that some people just sort of got it. Uh, and their, their ears were open, their hearts were open, uh, and they kind of said, yeah, it's obvious, great, got it. And other people sort of went, what? What's that about? Don't understand that. So parables were a very divisive uh, mode of teaching that Jesus used. Some people clearly got the message, they acted upon it, they, they received it, and they, they did something about it. Other people just sort of said, I have no clue what he's talking about. What's he saying? That may be true tonight, of course, 
there are some people here tonight who are very open to hear God's word. There are other people who probably aren't. But that's the way it is. And therefore, what we should be praying at the moment is that whatever state we're in, whatever, how we've come here tonight, is that we should be open to hear what God is going to say from his word. And, and the story is dead simple. It's, it's a very simple story, isn't it? Man gets beaten, beaten up. Two bad guys walk past him. One good guy helps him out, puts him on his horse, takes him off somewhere. Donkey, sorry, not horse. And takes him off somewhere, makes everything lovely. Um, yeah, books him in, you know, and that's, that's it. Now, the bad way to approach that uh, in terms of understanding the Bible is to say, okay, what we've got to do tonight is go out of here, try and find some poor guy who's bleeding to death in the gutter, you know, see if we can do something to him, uh, put him on a horse and take him to the Holiday Inn and give them an open tab. No, that is not how we deal with parables. What we must always do with these things is we must look and see what is the context. Because Jesus very rarely did anything but tell one simple story and he wanted you to understand something from that story. And he wanted you to go and do something about it. So it's interesting to go back to the beginning of the passage. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test, test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the context of the telling of this story is a man who is searching for the reality of God. He wants to know what God is about. How do I relate to God? How do I get in contact with God, as it were? What is the reality of this eternal life thing? Now, you may think that's a purely um, New Testament con concept, but it isn't, as we'll see in a moment. Um, the lawyer comes in a bad state, doesn't he? He comes to trick him, it says. He's, he's in for a debate. Now, this is very first century Greek. This is somebody coming and saying, come on, Jesus, let's have a debate. Let's have an argument and let's see who wins it. Uh, I've got ideas, you've got ideas. Let's have a sort of intellectual punch-up and, and see who ends up on, on top. And Jesus, wonderfully skillfully, if you want a good study and get a PhD on this, uh, if you go sort of through and say, okay, Jesus says, I'll turn that round and I'll say, this is now how you should live. I don't want an argument with you. I want to transform the way you live. I, I don't want to just have an intellectual dusting match. I want the word of God to change your life. Now, it, the, the quote that's interesting is in Daniel 12, 2, where it says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, even back in Deuteronomy, in the law, there was this business of a division. Some people got there, some people didn't inherit the kingdom of God. And, and so, this guy is coming, a teacher of the law, it says, so he would have known these scriptures, and, and he's actually saying, what is the reality of God? How do you inherit this? How do you get relationship? How do you get things which sustain you through life and, and everything about life? What, what, what's it about, Jesus? And Jesus challenges him and says, okay, what's written in the law? Have you read it? That's a cheeky question, isn't it? Come on, law man, have you read your, law, your own law? Have you had a look at this and see what it says? And what does he come out with? Well, I specially ordered these banners. 
because it's so appropriate, you know, that somebody's put these up for this week. It's absolutely fabulous. Because that's exactly what he comes out with. He comes out with the all statements. And this man, remember, is a teacher, and he says, I know this stuff. I know that you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I want all people. People who come to God with everything. And this man knew that. He knew exactly what that was about. That, that commitment to God demanded all of you. That there in that sort of text that you've got up in front, Deuteronomy 6.5, you've, you've got God saying that this is, the, the thing I want from my people is, is all that they have. And that's not a bad starting point for tonight, is it? To say, is that for you? Is that where you're at? Is that, or is your Christianity a kind of turned on Sunday job? Or, or is it a kind of, you know, well, yeah, God can have a bit and I'll have the rest. And God says, no, I won't. Look at it. All your heart, everything that drives you, at the very seat of your personality, your heart, I want it, God says tonight. I want it. What else does he want? He wants all your soul, the very spiritual being that you are. I want it. Uh, Smithy's been leading in some great worship tonight. Well, well, he wants that to be all of you, that, that says God is amazing. I don't want you just to sort of turn up and put your hand in the air now and again and sing a couple of songs. I want you. I want your heart. I want your soul. I want your strength. Everything that you bend your muscles to. I want it, God says. And I want your mind. Some of you guys are studying great stuff, good stuff. I love it. I still wish I could go back to university and be a dosser again. Sorry, that wasn't offensive. I'd love to do that again. I really would. It'd be just fantastic, you know. What a life, eh? Ah, um, oh, go back and study. Fantastic life. And, and God wants all of your mind that you use to study geography, history, physics, chemistry, drama, whatever. He wants your mind to be that mind that you're using, and he wants you to study chemistry Christianly, John Stott word. He wants you to study physics Christianly and to bring God values into what you study and the way you spend your time thinking and reading. Is this getting too tough? That's what it's saying. Now, this man knew all that. He got it. This teacher of the law who comes to Jesus and says that, he says, yeah, love the Lord your God. He comes out with the right answer. And he doesn't think he's winning the argument at this point. So Jesus, oh, I love the way he does this. He turns it around on him. He says, uh, you've answered correctly. Well done. Good job. Yeah, well said. Um, do this and you will live. But he's only answered half the question, isn't he? Who is my neighbor, he says. Who is my neighbor? You see, what this man hasn't done is what God wants us to do as his children, as his servants, as his people. He wants us to connect our relationship that way as well as what we do that way. He's actually saying, look, yeah, if that is true, love with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I want everything that you've got, then... 
I also want that to spill over. I want that to spread. I want that to infect the world. And perhaps a better word is affect rather than infect, but live with it. You know, that's what he wants. That's where he wants you to be. A person that affects the world that you live in. And that's what this, this story is about. Um, what must I do, he says, to inherit eternal life? Well, it's not about doing, is it? It's about believing. And if you believe truly with your heart, Jesus tells him, with all your heart, emotionally, physically, and all that sort of thing, then, well, there's no such thing for partial discipleship, is there? There's no room for it. But this lawyer is anxious to know. He wants to know the answer. Who is my neighbor? What is that about? Now, how does Jesus go on to deal with this? Well, let's understand a few context things, and then you'll get the drift of the story, I think. Um, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is described there specifically. Uh, Jerusalem's about the height of Snowdon, 3,000 feet above sea level. Jericho's about 1,000 feet below sea level. So it's sort of straight the way down to the Dead Sea. Jericho's at the top end of the Dead Sea. Uh, and so today, it's a dual carriageway. You can, have, you can drop off at the inn of the Good Samaritan and have a coffee. It's lovely. Um, it's, it's so loaded with tourism. It's unbelievable. Um, but there's another road that kind of wiggles its way through the Judean desert. Um, but there's another road, a rocky road, which they found only recently. And they think that is probably the road that Jesus is describing. And when he described it, everybody would have said, it's a bit like, you know, uh, when you say, oh, the M3's blocked, you know. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, we know that road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everybody knew Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a place you didn't go down if you could possibly avoid it. It was notorious. It was dangerous. And it's an extreme example. And then you get the passers-by. Now, these are interesting. Priests and Levites, uh, would you believe, were the leaders of the spiritual strength of the nation. Uh, they were the chaps who led God's people, don't you know? So they were righteous men, of course. Uh, the priest, the very heart of the temple worship, Levites similarly, they were all involved in the kind of way the nation acknowledged God. So they should have known, shouldn't they? I can almost hear Jesus saying, it's not recorded here, why don't you read your book a bit more than that and read about how it should be that you're, as God's people, should be a witness and a caring person for the world that you live in. It doesn't stop just going that way, it goes that way. And so these passers-by are typified as being those that should have stopped because they were religious leaders. Isn't it awfully possible to have a very good knowledge of the Bible but to not care a button about your neighbor? And if that's true, we haven't read the book, friends. We haven't got it. Because God will not give us wriggle room here. He says, if you're a follower of mine, if you want to inherit eternal life, now we don't do it by getting lots of good works done, but if we want to be those that are part of God's kingdom, we are those that love God, yes, with everything up there, but also that have a concern for those around us, for those in need, for those who are without Christ, 
And there were plenty of bits in the law that these two guys should have known about. Compassion for those in need had vanished. It's generally reckoned in the first century from the national agenda. It was sterile worship. It was attendance at things. But the actual love for people had gone. How does that grab you guys at university? How does it grab us in our workplaces tomorrow? How does it grab us across our fences and in our neighborhoods? How does it grab us in terms of the lonely lady or man that lives on our street? Who is my neighbor, Jesus said, or rather the man said. Well, you've all got them. You may not live next door to them, but they're everywhere. And like you, I've walked past them and said, I'm so sorry, I'm too busy. It was Christian business. I'm one of the most important Christians on the planet, don't you know? And therefore, I cannot be bothered with people. I told the story this morning, I think it bears telling again. I once got on a train in Sheffield. I was at the time a trustee of the Keswick Convention, don't you know, which is, if you don't know, very important. And um, we were about to spend two million quid, and I was reading all the papers, you know, as you do on the way to a meeting down from Sheffield to London with my little table and my little notebook. And this guy got on at Leicester. And, uh, and he must have seen something Christian on the, on the cover of the papers I was reading or something. And he said, you're one of them, aren't you? I said, uh, <laughs> depends what you mean by one of them. But yeah, yeah, I am if you mean Christian. Yeah, he says, I used to be one of them. And I thought, oh, no, come on, mate. Don't you understand? I've got to read all these papers before I get to this vitally important meeting. And I don't want to be bothered by some guy asking me awkward questions. That's how my heart was, first of all, I admit it. I wanted to get my papers written. And he wouldn't shut up. And I think it was round about Market Harbour, as I remember it. I thought, this ain't going to die away. This isn't going to stop. So I thought, well, Lord, you'll have to get me through this meeting somehow, but I'm going to engage with you. And from there until London, he told me his story of all the things that um, he'd been through and the reason he'd turned away from God and the reason he'd gone down this particular track in his life. And I won't bore you with the detail, but it was a very, very sad story. By the time we got to St Pancras, uh, I, I said, look, I'd love to meet again. I'd love to have a coffee with you sometime. And he says, no, he said, you've told me everything I know. I have never seen that man since. I last saw him walk under that great arch. If you've ever been on Eurostar, you know what I'm talking about. He went straight through that big arch at the back of the station. I've never seen him since. I really hope that guy's in heaven. Not because of me and be, be, being brilliant, but because I might have just given him something and he went somewhere else and someone else told him a bit more, who is my neighbor? It's a man who gets into a train and sits opposite me. And I didn't have the common sense or the good grace to respond to him immediately because I was too busy being a busy Christian. Oh, I was very good at looking upwards, but I wasn't so good at looking outwards. And that has always been an example in my own life that I'm deeply ashamed of, if I'm absolutely honest. But this man who did care, the Samaritan, 
Now, just, just a bit of history. Will you forgive me for this? It's very boring history, isn't it? Well, I don't think it is. It's wonderful. The Samaritans are the remnant of the northern kingdom. There used to be two kingdoms in Israel. There was the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And the northern kingdom were carted off to Assyria in BC 722. Uh, and they sort of all shoved off there. And then over 100 years later, the southern kingdom of Judah went to Babylon, who'd taken over Assyria. Are you still with me? Good. Uh, and by that time, uh, they then came back again. But the Samaritans never did. The northern kingdom never returned to Samaria. Samaria, hence Samaritans. And so the Jews hated them. The Jews thought they were second-class scum, basically. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, the Bible tells us. They even used to travel down to Jericho and go up the Jordan Valley and into Galilee that way, rather than going through Samaritan, Samaritan territory. They said, we don't want to go there, it's rubbish. This man is deep in southern territory. He's on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's in the south. The man who's bleeding in the gutter is probably a southern kingdom man. And a northern kingdom man who's taken abuse for years says, what can I do for this man? What can I do for him? Uh, everything in him, contrary to the first two guys who should have stopped, everything in him would have said, leave him. I've had enough grief out of these guys for years. I'm not stopping. Everything in him would have said, go on. Jews often called Samaritans half-breed. That was their term of abuse for Samaritan people. And this is something which I find deeply moving. His pity and his care seem to have no limits. I parodied it earlier, forgive me for that, but he goes to him, he bandages him, he pours all the wine into the wounds, he puts him on his donkey and he carries him off to an inn and he says, take care of him and I'll pay the bill when I get back to you. I'll come back and check he's okay. Jesus is trying to say this man could not have done any more. He went to the absolute limit. And I sometimes wonder with our care for friends, do, do we kind of back off when we're getting into an area which is not so comfortable? This is going to cost me too much time. So, I'll, yeah, I'll give him a meal and that'll be it. Forget it. I find this deeply challenging. This is not easy to preach this stuff, I tell you. It really isn't. But I found myself as I prepared this thinking, um, I, I had a, a wonderful night out on Wednesday. This is why my voice is a bit dodgy. Uh, I went to see Wembley to see the Mighty Spurs. And uh, as I was coming back, sort of feeling rejoicing and rejoicing at a wonderful victory, you know, because it was what you'd expect for a team like that, really. Um, you know, it was just a wonderful night out. And I found myself on the train thinking, how many people over the years have I walked past and, and I started counting them and God in his grace I think just somewhere around Winchester when I got out of the train gave me the deep sense of forgiveness that I, I had on lots of occasions blown it when I should have got down and 
put some wine and oil into a man's wounds and said, I care about you, mate. Who is my neighbour? The answer is anyone you meet. Anyone in your network. Anyone in your family. Anyone in your workplace. And one famous preacher likened this to buying yourself a new set of antenna. Antenna are things that receive signals. And when you walk into a certain situation, you know that you've got to stop and spend time with that human being. Sorry about that. That was my fault entirely. I thought I was freer than that. Beg your pardon. So there we go. That's possibly something that you need to think about. And I can't prescribe it for you. I, I can't tell you who. I, I can't give you names. I, I, I can't. But I can suggest you go out and buy a new set of God antenna. So that when you walk into a situation, you think, I've got to do something about this. I've got to show that man, that woman, that child love. Again, I, I told this story this morning. It's, it left an indelible mark on my life. When I was leading a party to Israel, we went up on the Mount of Beatitudes. And I just read Matthew 5. Blessed are, you know, all those Beatitude things. And uh, my Jewish guide, good friend Michael, Mikhail, tank commander for six months, Jewish guide for six months, lovely man. He put his hand on my arm and he grabbed me and he said, Dave, what you've just read, if, if you Christians live that, you'd change the world. This was a Jewish man speaking to me. If you Christians live that, you'd change the world. And, and so I, I simply ask you that this Dear man was um, searching, he was searching for truth. He, he did all that he could for this man who was lying and dying. Which of these do you think was a neighbor, Jesus says? Well, that's a bit like I said this morning, comparing Hitler with Mother Teresa. You know, what's the answer? The answer is obvious. He that showed mercy, the man could not even say Samaritan. He that showed mercy. And mercy is, is something which is not just about, you know, you're standing there with a spear or a gun, you're about to shoot someone, and someone says, mercy, mercy. That's not how the Bible defines mercy. Mercy is about a heart thing. It's about the way you look at human beings who are like you, made in the image of God, and you say, everyone needs compassion. We sang Smithy just now, didn't we? Everyone needs compassion. Savior, you can move the mountains, but everyone needs compassion. Could we be this week, those people that Jesus speaks to at the end of that passage, go and do likewise. Go and do what you can. Now, he's not asking you to visit every house or every student lodging in the place. He's not asking you to... But maybe just to take from tonight and say, Lord, will you give me one neighbor? Will you give me one human being? One neighbor that maybe tonight even, maybe this week, maybe in a lecture, maybe in a home group, maybe in a street. That we could just go up to them and say, are you okay? 
Are you all right? Can I do anything for you? Is there anything you need? And you know, I, I profoundly believe that this is the way the church will grow. This is the way you see you will go, grow. This is the way students' meetings will grow. When each of us learn that it is not just about how vital those statements are up there, if we then let that go outwards. It's said of Christopher Columbus that when he set sail, somebody quoted this. It said that Christopher Columbus set out for America because he wanted to bring glory to the king that he served. Friends, we will bring glory to the king if we, from tonight, go out to look for that one neighbor, for that one human being that you may already have a relationship with at some level. But you could put your hand in theirs and say, mate, I'm with you. I'm with you. I want to help you. Look after him. That's what happened to this poor man. By a man who could easily have turned around and said, why don't you get lost? But he didn't. And he helped him grow better. And he looked after him. Let's look for one, shall we? Let's look for one. And who knows what will happen as a result of those meetings. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Father, thank you that when you told a story, as you have here, that it always had a simple meaning and yet a profound meaning. A meaning that really we can't avoid. We really can't. And so I pray that for each of us, me included, definitely, during this coming week, we'll be looking for not a man in a gutter, bleeding, but someone who we know maybe already who's hurting, who's struggling, at our school, our college, our workplace, our street. And we will do what Jesus tells us to do, to identify them as a neighbor and to reach out with your love and your compassion that that person may know true life in all its fullness through the Lord Jesus. Forgive us for times when we, as I have, so often turned my back and walked by on the other side. Thank you that you graciously forgive us for that. But help us not to do it again. Help us to look for the opportunity, look for the way, look for the person that we might offer that glorious thing which is the love of Christ and show them the compassion as you would have done. Teach us, we pray, but not just to believe it, but to live it. In his name we pray.